0: This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today, we bring back Eric Crow, Mr. Long Beach Leather 2019, to share in depth about his experiences with hook suspension. Now, I will put a disclaimer out there that the following content may be difficult to hear for some listeners, especially if you are sensitive towards discussion about blood, needles, or pain. I do hope, however, that those who do stick around may have a positive and or educational experience, maybe even seeing the purple fetish from a new and unique lens. Keep in mind that we are not doctors, nor do we ever claim to be. If you are seeking actual medical advice, whether or not that be related to kink, please consult your doctor or medical professional. We are only here to share our knowledge and experiences for fun and information's sake. With that said, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more Leather Talk. So hello, everybody. This is Brandon again, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. And today we have Eric Crowe back on the show. Hi, Eric.
1: Hi.
0: (laughs) Well, the reason why we were getting together again today is because there were some aspects of the episode that we wanted to get a lot more in depth for. And there was just not enough time to talk about it all. Um, So, Eric, you are here today to talk a little bit about the aspects of uh, hook suspension. Is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. It's... It's what I consider, uh, and what many people consider, the next step after a hook pull, mm-hmm. a hook energy pull to be complete.
0: Well, I know you, you have a little bit of, um, I guess, facts to, to share with us. and Before we get you know, too deep into it, maybe you can talk a little bit about your
1: research on that. Well, it, it was actually just a little bit of research mm-hmm. on the color purple. Um, when people are into piercing, they flag the color purple, the one thing that everybody always asks when they see you flag a hanky color is why, did, why does that mean, why does X mean that? Why, mm-hmm. does, why does navy blue mean fucking, uh, some, are, some of them are obvious, uh, like brown and yellow, but blue and other colors, not so much. And purple is one of those colors, and so there is actually a, a good reason why the color purple was chosen for piercing. Okay. And I'm going to give it to you straight from the horse's mouth. This is from a longtime Leatherman named Jim Ward. He is the author of a book called Running the Gauntlet and he owned the gauntlet piercing shop in West Hollywood in the eighties. And there's a whole book about that and about the modern body piercing and body modification movement. And so he writes in the chapter called The Color Purple, drummer, a magazine for gay men into S and M that had begun at about the same time as Gauntlet had published an article listing the common hanky colors. I reasoned that piercing fans ought to have a color of their own, but what color? I didn't have to look too far for inspiration, purple. The color associated with Jupiter, the planet associated in astrology with prosperity and good fortune. Purple, the color draping Catholic and Anglican churches during Holy Week when they commemorate the day their deity got pierced. It seemed ideal to me, and so I fired off a letter to the editor of Drummer decreeing purple as the official color for people into piercing. My letter was published, and in time, by continually reinforcing the message, it stuck. And that's the story behind why purple means piercing.
0: Wow, that is so interesting. I you know, I guess I always thought that people just kind of came up with these colors and somehow they came into fashion. But specifically for the color purple, this was like a real distinct decision, it seems like.
1: It, it, it is, um, because purple purple was also always associated with royalty, because mm-hmm. the, only the wealthy and the elite could afford to make colors as deep as that, as deep as purple. Um, otherwise, otherwise, you just wore uh the plainer colors, mm-hmm. so to speak um if you if you were less than
0: and it's so interesting to me to to hear that he also related it to uh religion and you know myself growing up as a Catholic, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will will kind of understand it that has such a, a deep spiritual meaning tied to it
1: exactly it has especially spiritual significance to me because of who my favorite artist is and my favorite artist is prince Mm -hmm. and of course the famous song that you can't couldn't go to a prince concert and not hear toward the end of his time here on earth purple rain when they asked him why the color purple was so spiritual to him he famously said in the sky red and blue equals purple the song purple rain pertains to the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting your faith or god guide you through that rain and in addition to that um, as far as uh, colors uh, purple combines the calm stability of blue and the fierce energy of red is associated with royalty nobility um, luxury power and ambition but it also represents uh, creativity dignity devotion independence and magic and there's a shade of purple that is integral to the LGBTQ community, lavender, so. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, that's so interesting. Now, you know, we did kind of talk a little bit about how you got into piercing in the first place, and you did share with us that it is a a very spiritual experience for you. Um, Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about as far as like how you got into piercing in the first place? Because I think a lot of us, we're wondering, like,
1: how in the world do you experience this for the first time? The first time I ever saw... Any kind of piercing going on uh, was at an event called Leather Levi Weekend, and it was 2007. Mm -hmm. And there was a hook energy pull that was taking place, I think, on the Saturday of the run. And there were a group of, I'd say, about 15 to 20 people, and they were all hooked together to this ring in the center. And they were having this very, very spiritual, mystical experience together. Uh, They were crying together, they were laughing together, they were uh, feeling each other uh, through their hooks and through the ropes and the wiring that connected everybody to the ring in the center. And I looked at it from a great distance and I I was very intrigued, but I was very clear that I would never do that. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to all these years later, and all the experience that I had with the hook poles, I did go there a lot.
0: And and you talk a little bit about that in your original episode. You actually wrote a, a short narrative about it. And so, for those who haven't heard Eric Crow's episode, go back and take a listen because it is um, it's incredible just to kind of walk yourself through the, that narrative with him. So I know we wanted to talk a little bit more about getting into the the hook suspension.
1: So let's yes. let's get into that. Yes. Um, I did the hook pull every year that I went to a boot camp with the 15 Association. And after the end of the fifth year, I, I figured I'd be satisfied. And then at that same fifth year, there was a friend of mine who was going to be doing a hook suspension. And he invited me to be a witness to the event. Um, and I, I said, yes, I would be there for part of it. And inside of me was the same experience that I had when I saw the hook pull for the first time. Um, and I thought I would never do it, but I said yes, because he was a good friend of mine and I did show up, uh, planning to stay for about a half hour of it. And before I knew it, I'd stayed for the whole experience and I was wrapped up in the event as it was happening. And there were tears in my eyes at the end. Um, I, I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. Um, but it was, it was nothing like what I thought it was going to be in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I couldn't understand it from his point of view. Um, I could only understand it from mine and that all he could do is tell me his experience, um, which seems especially important today because all that I could do for him is to hold space for him. By, By witnessing him go through this ritual, all I could do was be there for him. So I witnessed the event, and like I said, I wrote about it. I just sort of tucked it away. And then two years later, we had an election, and somebody that nobody saw coming and that nobody wanted elected got elected.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think we know who you're talking
1: about. (laughs) The chaos began immediately. Yeah, I also felt an immediate need to get up to see my family, and it just so happened that that was the same month as uh, the anniversary weekend for the Fifteen Association. And I was just really itching to get up there and see my friends and see my family. And while we were at the Saturday play party, they have two play parties during that weekend. While we were at the Saturday play party, it just arose out of me um, without me being aware of it. I walked up to the person that would do the hook pulls with me and all the piercing and said, I want to do a suspension. And he talked to me for a little bit about it, and we uh, had decided to continue the conversation. He asked me to do some research into it, and uh, I did. Um, for the next four months, I had a lot of mental, physical, and spiritual preparation. I was also working out regularly to get physically prepared for it.
0: So if, if I may ask a question about that, the, the preparation, like, what kind of spiritual, mental <laughs> preparation does
1: that look, what does that look like? Well, I began to look at what it was. I began to uh, discover and research wh- what actually goes into it. I watched a lot of videos on YouTube about suspensions, anything that I could get my hands on. Um, I wrote a lot of poetry about it from every aspect of it to how I imagined myself while I was being suspended. Uh, I looked at the paraphernalia, the hooks, the rig, the building, uh, or the surroundings, the environment. Um, I looked at that just to get a sense of what I was up for. Right. And as I was writing the poetry about it, I began to get mesmerized by the idea that I was building in my head. Um, I imagined a space in my head and i imagined all that could possibly go into that space so that i could open up that world and step into it Mm. so to prepare my way so to speak i also talked to my brother who did the suspension about his experience and then a month before i had a call uh with the person that would suspend me my hooker as i call him Love that. (laughs) We talked about what to expect and and what I might feel at various stages. Um, He told me how to prepare in the weeks and the hours leading up in terms of nutrition and exercise and those building blocks. And I remembered, I remembered this being brought up during uh, my friend's suspension. He also mentioned that we would perform the act on the Thursday or Friday of the run, whichever was cooler. Because at that part of the year, this is in Lake County, which is west of Mendocino. And that's about two and a half hours from San Francisco. And the temperature, in the temps in the afternoon, in the early afternoon could easily reach 100. So it was just, it was also a matter of timing on that end. And I started inviting people to uh, witness the event just as I had been invited. At the time I pulled up to the event, I had six. But by the day of the actual boot camp, that doubled. Because people would hear about it and they would say, can I come too? Mm-hmm. And this is for anybody that wants to see. It's, it was a scene that would be out in the open. So you could come up and, and see it, You know, keeping a respectful distance, of course. But uh, yeah, it was open to anybody who wanted to see it. Uh, A a particular importance was that he asked me to have an intention going into the act. And my intention was that it would be a ritual to cleanse the leather community and the LGBTQ community of, of the hate that it was having thrust at it at the time. Trump was starting to try to enact his first transgender ban. And we all saw this as the start of what he was trying to do. And that he was pretty much going against everything that he promised. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to provide a clearing for people to get away from that and I wanted to provide a sense of cleansing by my willingness to literally be suspended in the air. <laughs> so then it was time to go up to boot camp. And when we got to Saratoga Springs, it was late at night. Saratoga Springs is the name of the campsite or the retreat center. Um, it was at night, but we were greeted by the run chairman and a few other people. And even though it had been two years since I'd been there, it felt like I'd never left. And I knew that that sense of welcoming was so encouraging. And just a a note about the the Retreat Center, I I maybe spent six weeks of my life at this place, but I've had entire relationships with men that lasted years that weren't as meaningful.
0: Mm Yeah. So the hook suspension, and so we're talking about that this is sort of like elevating you above other people. It puts you in a different headspace, a different level, really. Yes. Uh, How does that feel? Like, what does that entail? Because it's not like you're just stepping up on a soapbox.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What does that feel like? Uh, There's nothing I can think of to say that it feels like it just feels like itself.
0: Like if there were, if there anything to compare it to for us lay people who haven't experienced it to give us like an idea of that sensation, or is there nothing?
1: There, there, there is nothing. But to the listener, I would say it's in the realm of they would picture it in the realm of walking over hot coals. Hmm. Okay, it's it's a great mind over matter experience. Only in this case, the experience also has a lot of loving and nurturing and family to go along with it. So that, that the listener can understand. that it's, it's an intense experience that a person wants to go through and wants their family and their loved ones close to them. And you know, the listener can fill in the blanks there. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I know we talked about, uh, you've mentioned in the past, in the suspension, you're actually being pushed and twisted and and swung or around. Mm-hmm. Does that add? I mean, I can't imagine that that must add more pressure where the hooks are being inserted into your body.
1: It does. Uh, when i when everybody was checking in the first day of registration, uh, I waited at the porch for him. And once he settled in, he found me, and we uh, we made the plans for Thursday morning. There was one other person there that was also going to be suspended um but he asked me first i got i got first priority and so i immediately stepped in and claimed my space (laughs) once that happened this this sense of giddiness came over me Mm -hmm. because this was going to happen this was going to happen there was no backing out but this was going to happen and i couldn't wait for it. it there's there's a lot of build up to this as you can probably hear I felt a need to build up my endorphins and my tolerance, uh, my pain tolerance, just on a personal level. So I had like a number of scenes uh, set up to do that night before just to get myself, my body in that space of of a natural high to sort of act as, I thought at the time to act as a buffer. I got it. Yeah. Do
0: people ever take, I mean, I'm not advocating or supporting, Mm -hmm. you know, this by any means, but I'm just curious, do do people take drugs when they are
1: doing hook pulls or hook suspensions? It is highly encouraged that they not use substances, but they do anyway.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I would,
1: Im- I would just imagine, you know, that it is your experience. You do with your experience what you will. For me personally. I couldn't do that just because of my own past history uh, of substance abuse, mm-hmm. um, but also, you know, having done like the hook pull and having played with endorphins and, and that kind of and the chemicals, the natural chemicals, like I said, in the hook pull, I couldn't imagine a drug that would take me higher than my own body's natural high and reactions to these things.
0: So in some ways, you're saying that using a substance in the midst of this experience might actually make
1: it less of an experience for you. Oh yeah, it would. That's why a lot of people say that drugs are a shortcut to that kind of an experience. And you know, when you're having when you're having an intense scene in a dungeon with a bottom that wants to get flogged, and they're flying or they're high or they're they're doing whatever they're doing, they can't feel the activity for what it is. Right. So it's like it's a detachment that actually happens. Um, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't imagine party and play. <laughs> on any of this, I couldn't imagine that.
0: So, how I, I just want to get a mental picture of this. Um, mm-hmm. The the hooks that are going into your are they going into the meat of your muscle or are they just going into the skin?
1: They're just going into the skin. Okay. Uh, and in this case, we chose what is called a suicide suspension, two, which is four hooks, two on either side of the shoulders. Of the, of the arches of the back where you would put wings, Okay. if, if you could imagine. And they are six-gauge hooks that have to be cleaned and prepared after each use, and in this case sent away to a place to be cleaned. Okay. Not just something that you can use, uh, calvicide or alcohol or what have you, as a one-time use and then just put it away and wait. No, this had, had these have to be sent away after each use.
0: Okay, yeah, that was gonna be my next question. There must be a whole sanitary ritual that goes beyond sanitizing these things because they're going right into your body. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, well, you know what? Let's get into the after <laughs> in, in
1: a little bit. <laughs> right.
0: So w- when you're being lifted up, is there like a is it like a crank or something that they're cranking in and you're like slowly being raised, or are there men like pulling these ropes that are attached to these hooks and you're starting to elevate? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. He, yeah. Here's how, the, here's how the process starts. Um, so I wake up the next morning and I see the rig and it just reminds me of what I'm going to do. And I find, I find the person that's going to suspend me and we have a brief conversation. He tells me to eat a light breakfast, not too much in case uh, of a sudden fit of nausea or, or anything like that. I continue to prepare myself mentally and to just be there, to be there, to be ready for it. Uh, he drew a diagram on my back, uh, denoting where the hooks would go. Mm-hmm. And while he was doing that to get to that place, he would start pinching the parts of my back or that would be around where he wanted to, where he wanted to put the hooks in to figure out where the strongest and most natural place was. I see. Yeah. And so basically I'm standing, I'm standing, looking out at the suspension rig while he's doing this. I can't see what's about to take place. I can't see the hooks that are about to go in until it's time for them to go in. So we have the hooks, and the first one goes in, and I don't feel it. You don't feel I, it. I don't feel it. I How? mean I know there's <laughs> I, I I you're you're am just as you're just as surprised as I was to realize that. And you know, because it's built up in all this time, <laughs> it's been four months and you know, he, you're, you're expecting, you know, as you would, because needles, needles hurt when they go in. Yeah. <laughs> but for some reason, this first hook didn't. I felt it go in, but there wasn't that, ga- <gasps> that gasping kind of reaction <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that I would have with the hooks the first couple of times. Um, the other three I felt, and there, there was some pain there, but by then the endorphins had kicked in. And so I was a little more numb to the sensation. I felt it, but it wasn't as intense. So each time wasn't like the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the, I, then we had to wait, uh, and give the hooks, a, a few moments to, to just sit there and to give my body a chance to adjust to them being there and just all the sensations
0: wow well
1: and basically what happens is that in in my head i felt like a warm feeling from the from the flood of endorphins Um, and it kind of put me into a a a state like a trance-like state where i was i was feeling it but i was conscious and i was functional i could answer questions i could carry on a conversation and i had three people on the on the porch with me who looked out for me the whole time and then in addition to them by this time, everybody that was gonna watch had gathered, and I just looked out at that, and that, that, was, that was heartwarming to me, to see everybody there. <laughs> that part of the ritual where the person is coming to sacrifice themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. So as you're being, as you have these hooks inserted into you and you're being lifted up, are you feeling blood pour down your back? Um, I
1: am. And is that a warm feeling for you? Is that a comforting feeling for you? Is that a release feeling for you? What does that feel like? Well, it's not enough to, it's, it's actually just that I feel it. Uh Um, It's not a rush of blood. There's just like trickles because it only goes through the skin again. Um, and it only goes through the skin. So then we walk out to the place where the rig is and the person that does the suspension welcomes everybody and calls the corners. And this is a pagan ritual of calling north, east, south, west, and the center. And in this case, he also called the energy above and below. I I thanked everyone for coming, and I asked my friend to read a poem that I had written for the occasion that I had handed to him the night before. Um, So it was read, and they started threading the rope between the hooks and the rig, the rope that would lift me. Um, And this is the answer to your question that you asked about five minutes ago. Um, (laughs) There, It's not an automatic suspension, it's a manual suspension, and it's performed by the person that is lifting me. Wow. So it's a very, very sturdy tree, and it has 100 feet of rope, (laughs) uh, very, very secure, very strong rope.
0: I I don't know if I, okay, listeners, am I the only one where my whole body is tingling right now?
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh just but but wait but wait because wait the best is yet to come and this is actually something that i've uh i've written that will describe it better than i can it's called liftoff at the moment just before liftoff that's when there's no turning back the feeling of the hooks flipping upward in the rig is why he comes to be with me and tells me the first couple of minutes will be intense let them happen Here comes the first lift. Each successive inch brings the initiate closer to liftoff, the focus on his and the officiant's eyes. The initiate has a look in his eyes, a mixture of tension and acceptance. The officiant maintains a soft, kind expression, a reminder of trust. He says, when in doubt, delegate. And then counters, we will see you inching up until only the tips of my toes are touching the earth and he repeats when you're ready say the words raise me up i ponder briefly saying to myself there's no point in waiting i want to fly after a deep breath i say the three words he wants to hear raise me up and here comes the big womp. 195 pounds of skin and muscle and bones and water is lifted off the ground. First, a couple inches, then a couple more, and then the big push, four feet higher than everyone else in a circle. The initiate closes his eyes to center himself. He sees a dark tunnel through closed eyes and lets gravity do its job. He opens his eyes just in time to feel the officiant's hand on his chest, ready to push him and start a swinging motion there's no forgetting the hooks are there but there's also no pain he is ready to fly there are gentle pushes to start a few feet in either direction he unknots the dark blue sarong and shows himself as he came into the world the efficient goes to lay underneath putting his hands flat against his feet without warning comes the twirl oh wow we The photographer laughs as he holds the camera. A return to the swing motion with Mandal getting in on the action and the pair turn the initiate into a swing. Angles on the camera show interesting perspectives. Angel light shining down on the initiate in some images, clouds for wings in others. 25 forever long minutes have just passed. It's about time to touch earth again. In the few remaining minutes, the initiate plays with his own strength, bouncing on the hooks. Who knew it was possible to do such things? And now this event has reached its natural stopping point. Earth comes to meet his feet, and he is surrounded by loved ones on all sides. Lean into the medic, comes the urging from behind. The strings are cut without warning. Good thing is a body to fall against. He sits down, has a coke, and comes back to life. Back on the porch, the hooks comes out and his back is cleaned. He sits for as long as he needs, shares a last hug and says thanks to everyone. He quotes a line from an Easter tenebrae service, O vos omnes qui transitis per viam, meaning, O you who pass by. The suspender offers a final namaste to all who came and it was over.
0: Wow what a journey i i don't know about everyone else listening but i just kind of closed my eyes and put myself in as if i was reading a book and it, it's so intense to imagine yourself that high off of the ground and the way you describe it as like the earth leaving your feet and the earth returning to your feet like returning to your body and mm-hmm. i can only imagine what that's like, and then to have those the people there and, and the twirling and the swinging and the, it just sounds so exhilarating,
1: it really does. <laughs> um, the thing about it was the, the being four feet off the ground. I have a thing about higher places. I've stood on this, the, the title holder stage at Folsom Street when it used to be on the 12th Street entrance. I've stood on stages at contests, including Eagle 562. The San Francisco Eagle and all those other places, when you're up higher, just a few feet and you look out, what you see is just, there's there's not a separation. It's just a whole group. It's just a whole, It's it's a whole thing that you see. And it was the same thing here, except that it was in panorama because as they were spinning me and twirling me, I mean, I literally got to see the curvature of the earth.
0: Wow. Yeah, the the only experience that I can really tie that to is just the adrenaline that I get when I'm about to perform on my violin, you know, out on stage with like a a whole audience full of people. And it it does take you to another level. That's why performance is so much different than practice. Like you can never really practice performance because each time it's a new experience. Yes, yes. But I can only really imagine, you know, I feel like that's got to be even more elevated.
1: Well, I would, I would say they're parallel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't say what, uh, what being on stage to perform is like, because I, as le- at least with an instrument, because I don't know what that's like. I mean, I've been on stage before to sing, but you know, to play a musical instrument, that's, mm-hmm. that's different. Although uh, toward, the, toward the end of being up on the air, I did start to pluck the rope. <laughs> just uh just to, that's what i that's what i was talking about when i said i started to you know i started to play with my body yeah and see what i could do on those hooks because i i'm not just there to like hang out <laughs> <laughs> i love that. literally i'm not I just there the to hang out you can
0: do with this you got a hooker <laughs> <and> a <laughs> I,
1: I watch way too much drag race <laughs>
0: <laughs> so are we? i he, oh, i can't even talk okay are you screaming and moaning during this entire time
1: i'm not yeah not this first time um i'm experiencing it Mm -hmm. there's just so what what are you just
0: are you silent the whole time just taking it in no
1: no i um i do talk to people but i don't really have the vocabulary outside of we and yay (laughs) Uh, when, when I'm experiencing it, and it's kind of—I I didn't really need to talk in that particular moment, except to tell people to slow down when they're when they're pushing me if it felt like it was getting too fast or what have you. But mostly, it was just the what I expressed was the wonder.
0: So for. A lot of fetishes and kinks, especially when it comes to like something as involved as this, a lot of it oftentimes involves what we call aftercare. And
1: is there kind of like a ritual for aftercare for this? Yes, there is. Uh, As I had mentioned uh, at the end of the story of the actual suspension, we went back onto the porch Uh, where the hooks came in because that's where they came out Uh, and uh, there was a lot of time uh, spent to clean the areas where the hooks were and to clean off the blood which some of which had dried at this point Um, and to just make sure to clean the area and make sure that it is as free from a chance of getting infected as possible. Uh, in this case, I had uh, four bandages put on, one for each puncture, because it's now an open wound and it needs a chance to heal. And so basically what I was told was that I might not be hungry. Um, I, he was wrong, I was very hungry. <laughs> and you know, this was just like, this is we finished just in time for lunch. But anyway, he also told me to, that I could shower but that I should avoid the hot tub for 24 hours um, just because of particularly what's in the hot tub at an event where men are playing and fucking and all of that. And we don't want to get that in.
0: We don't want kind uh, in here piercings.
1: <laughs> we don't want to get that in the wound. Yeah. Um, and this part is going to be a little bit uh, cringy, Okay. <laughs> but before he could put the bandages on, he had to burp my back wait what (laughs) there's air that get that can get trapped in the piercings and uh oh my gosh yeah so he had to basically push the air out oh my goodness yeah yeah that was that was um that was unexpected (laughs) on my part i'd seen it but i i didn't expect how i didn't know how it was going to feel
0: was that painful or did it just feel like pressure
1: it was just weird (laughs) okay it was just weird but he said that if that air had gotten in the bloodstream done you're done basically that's (laughs) dangerous um so the other thing two two other things about this um after the suspension was completed and i was off the i was off the porch and i was around the camp um everybody had questions for me i couldn't get away from it for the rest of the day Uh, I was asking, you know, they they would ask me questions and I would answer them because they, you know, that's what they want to know. The next morning at uh, before breakfast, uh, the suspender finds me and uh, checks in with me and we chat about a lot of things, um, mostly around the experience. And I tell him that the questions about that the questions are coming. And he, he just tells me, you did something that would make anyone talk and ask questions. So if they have one question or a dozen, let them ask. Let them talk to you and you talk to them. Their experience is their experience. And if they want to, let them go tell it on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to back up just a bit and talk about a contest question that I was asked. I was running for San Diego leather daddy and one of the questions asked to me was who are the black leather wings? It was a question that I didn't have an answer for. So I said, I don't know. Can I get back to you before the contest starts? And I was given the approval and I researched them and it turns out that they were a branch of the radical fairies, which was an organization that helped start off the sisters of perpetual indulgence in San Francisco. Um, so here we are at this table, and the person that's just put these hooks and needles in me for eight years and just did my suspension starts talking about his membership in the black leather wings. Mm-hmm. My jaw dropped and I hit my and I whipped my head around. I was just in amazement. If anybody had told me that I would meet somebody that I had been asked a question about. In these circumstances, I would never have believed it, and I couldn't have loved my brother any more in that moment.
0: Wow, how powerful! And I mean, what a what an amazing experience for you to kind of have that whole thing come full circle. It's so funny though. You, you spent a lot of time talking about the the preparation mm-hmm. and the. Just like all of leading up to it, <laughs> I was imagining myself, you know, one time I was in Colombia and I stayed on a military base um, and all they had was freezing cold shower water.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I remember waking up and having, standing in the shower for five minutes being like, you can do this. You got this.
1: And <laughs> like yeah, I, yeah. Just the
0: suspense, but like, this is like a, a month of suspense.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. And then you take the cold shower.
0: Yes, <laughs> you dive in.
1: <laughs> That's actually, I appreciate that.
0: Well, what what is your message to people listening to this right now who maybe like thought about it at the beginning or like, oh my God, this is so horrible. This is so crazy. And then at the end, and now some of us, I'm sure are thinking, wow, you know, this might be an experience I want to explore a little bit. What's your advice for that person?
1: You would never experience anything else like this. Mm-hmm. And... There's all that you can conceive in your mind and think about based on pictures that you see and your own emotional reactions to it. But when you actually do get suspended, that's the only time you can know. Mm. And for me, a lot of my life has been about having those preconceived notions and then actually experiencing what I had the notions about to realize that some of it may be the same but the experience is its own thing its own creation mm-hmm. and that there's a distinction
0: absolutely yeah um, well eric before we go uh, how can we get connected with you uh,
1: how can we reach out you can reach out to me uh on facebook through my own personal page uh eric crow uh or mr long beach leather 2019 instagram no Instagram, but I also have the New Horizons for 50, which I had mentioned before.
0: Yeah, that's right. Okay, so you can re- reach out to you through Facebook. We can reach out to you through uh, the New Horizons for 50. Um, you did mention a book earlier at the beginning of the interview today. Uh, can you remind us what that book is and how we can find it?
1: Um, that is a book called Running the Gauntlet, uh, written by Jim Ward.
0: All right, awesome. I'll make sure to put links for all of that in the description below. Uh, thank you again, Eric, for coming on in and taking us with you on this very intimate journey. And I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners ha- have learned a lot today and experienced a lot with you. So thank you so much for that.
1: Absolutely. Well, before we go,
0: don't forget to check out the many outreach programs we have available to us here in the Los Angeles area. The LALC Cares and Boulevard Pantry are some ways that you can get assistance during these trying times of COVID-19. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leathertalk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as BrandonBulletLA. LA. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky.